Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. thing on total soccer show the show where we dig into one of the meatier topics of the beautiful game today we focus our attention on a nation that's marked its intention to become a global force in soccer saudi arabia the saudi pro league has been running for 48 years but has gained attention in recent seasons with its capital outlay on some of the biggest names in soccer at the start of the year al nasser signed cristiano ronaldo offering him a salary worth 200 million euros per year this summer saudi clubs have brought in kareem benzema neymar riyad mahrez ruben Neves, and countless other players who may have previously selected an elite european club on today's show, we're looking at the moves Saudi clubs have been making, the source of their funding, the role the league will play in the soccer landscape, and much, much, much more. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me to have that discussion, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Ryan. Taking a sip of water just as I asked him his name. Graham Rutherford. <laughs> Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm doing... I made... I made a calculated bet to completely derail the show from the beginning that you were going to go to Graham second and me third, uh, and I was wrong, and I look like a fool. So I deserve it was, that. It was a 50-50. You tossed a coin there, Joe. You lost I out. I really um, did. Here we go. I'm not cutting this out. All right. So, um, Taylor, what, what's your your overarching opinion on the Saudi Pro League? You know, it's a, a, by many accounts, a serious league. It's been going nearly half a decade. It's got Pro Rail. They've got a whole system there, and they've made some big investments in recent years. Yes, and that's all we need to know when we're talking about Saudi Arabia. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. I think if I'm going to be candid and honest up front, uh, one of the best quotes I've ever heard about Saudi Arabia, uh, this is the nation where tradition and modernity are in violent collision. And that feels sort of like a good foundation for where I'm coming from with this, which is that we understand Saudi Arabia's history, their traditions, the importance of Mecca and Medina and, and religion and how it's, it's an all-encompassing thing. And so then to have... The amount of money that's being spent on on football and bringing in stars and and trying to I think move away from petrochemicals and more towards tourism and and modern industry and modern cities and and all of these things it just it feels like a confusing turn of pace for the kingdom but not one that is is foreign certainly it's something that uh, has happened in the UAE and Qatar but it still is I think an important way for me at least to get my head around what's happening in Saudi Arabia with this league. Indeed. Uh, Graham, a uh, stat here I got from The Guardian. In 2023, Saudi clubs spent 11% of all global club sales. That's 878 million euros. Previously, in previous years, they'd never eclipsed more than 2% of global sales. So uh, a five-fold increase, more than five-fold increase yeah. in their uh, spending. 
that is a lot of money. And of course, this week it was the the Saudi uh, transfer deadline day, which is not something that was terribly relevant in years gone by. But that were you has watching uh, Saudi Sky Sports all day long, Graham, with, with the totalizer? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found Saudi Sky Sports on on, on my Sky guides, uh, but I did find Saudi Pro League games on the Zone the other day. So maybe maybe that is coming at some point. In the future, this has been the the story of the summer, right? The money that has been spent by the Saudi Pro League and, and the member clubs. I would say along with Messi joining Inter Miami, that has been the biggest the biggest story of the last few months. And even the Messi story is tied into what is happening in, in, in Saudi Arabia. As you mentioned, Ryan, Cristiano Ronaldo, he makes the move to Al Nassar in the winter. So that was maybe the first time we got a sense that the Saudi Pro League was about to spend a lot of money. But at that point, this is maybe just my impression, but my impression at that point was that they were going to target aging stars and players entering the twilight of their careers. And and there's, there is still an element of that. They have done that over the summer. But as the summer window progressed, it became clear that this was something more than that. It's not necessarily a retirement league. And there are a, a few signings that have really put a, a flag in the sand, so to speak. They have indeed. Joe, um, how much of an imprint has the Saudi Pro League made on your soccer viewing, on your soccer consciousness? How, how, how big is it on the old Lowry dashboard? It's, it's not high. It is only really crept in from social media. I think it's been fascinating for me to see how different brands that are out there, I think about Bleach Report and CBS and some of the bigger brands on social media on the soccer side, have gone about this and, and they have gone on board quickly to try and get as many people to look at what Ronaldo's doing or what Neymar is doing or what Karim Benzema is doing, which I think speaks well of some of the strategy that Saudi Arabia have, have gone with here. Their ability to recruit some of these players has had a massive impact for them already, even though for me, it has only seeped in passively to my viewing habits. I have not yet watched a full game in the Saudi Pro League. I don't really have plans to. I know maybe we'll get onto that later. There's still not a real draw for me personally, even though I recognize for lots of people that want to watch the players that are there, there will be a big draw, and there probably has already been a big draw, and we're seeing the numbers boost both with local attendance and TV deals and all of those kinds of things. But for me, Ryan, to, to get to your question specifically, it, it hasn't really made a mark. Mm. Taylor, I've, I've got a, a friend who's been to a few games in Riyadh and watched a few games in the past year and says also the, the, the fervor there among fans is growing. Certainly the atmosphere is getting better. Uh, that, that friend has been to see Ronaldo games a couple times where um, a lot of it is how we've seen perhaps some behaviors towards Leo Messi where people are maybe there for the player rather than, than the team and maybe even the sport. But it seems that might be changing as we get Neymars, we get the Benzema's coming over, those kind of caliber players, and even the caliber of player below them, the Jordan Hendersons, the, the way that they are uh, stocking this league now is is going to, as, as Graham said, it's not going to just be focused on the aging megastar. No, it's not. I think it, it will still be focused on the names that they can get that are big enough to turn some heads or sort of keep teams... Uh, in the spotlight, but I, but I do think, like, like lest we forget, as you've already said, it, it is a league that has existed not just for like this last year, but for a good long while. That there has been support for the sport in the country, uh, certainly for the national team. But I think there's always been the enthusiasm for Real Madrid and Barcelona, and and I think those are the two most well supported clubs in in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia at present. And so you watch some of the games. I watched uh, good chunks of Al Ali versus Al Ittihad. And uh, I was I enjoyed the atmosphere at times. It felt a little bit like a high school atmosphere in that there weren't as many supporters and there wasn't as much chanting. So you could hear those sort of 
the uh, the valleys in the sound. But as that game, which finished four to three, sort of picked up in its intensity, the crowd got into it. The Alali supporters were very much, I think they were the away team, very much uh, on board a three goal turnaround from being three to one down. So the 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 atmosphere, I think, is improving. The crowds are there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also interesting to look at how the money is being spent and where it's being spent because. As we've done so far on the show, and as many people have done, we kind of talk about it as a monolith. Like Saudi Arabia is spending money, Saudi is spending money, and really, it's the four big clubs. It's uh, it's Al Hilal, Al Ali, Al Nasser, and Al Ittihad. Uh, and then, sort of, the second tier clubs are spending some money. Certainly, not what those top four have been spending. And then it's a knockdown effect from there. I think there's four other clubs that are state owned uh, or privately owned, but definitely encouraged to spend a lot of money by the Saudi government. Uh, a couple of those are in lower uh, divisions or in the lower division. I think one is near the bottom of the table, but will probably be working its way up. A lot of those have uh, either geographical or geopolitical importance. So you can see how they're trying to sort of uh, bolster the league while also bolstering the areas in which those clubs are playing. But I think the way they've spent is really fascinating because you've seen those the big names, you've seen some of the lesser knowns or some more veteran players, but also the knock-on effect has been a lot of those clubs who are historically significant have let go of squad players, like uh, Al-Halal, for example, have shipped out seven of their players last season, 14 this season. Most of them, or all of those players, those 21 players, all going to other Saudi clubs who aren't as well-financed. And so I think you can see the knock-on effect, though, of... The, the rich are definitely getting richer and are definitely getting better, but the poorer clubs are benefiting from that by more investment, by more eyes, by more money, but also because they're getting the players that used to be good enough but are maybe now not at that caliber are knocked down a level but are then making those teams more competitive. So it's really interesting to me to see how that money is having sort of intended knock-on effects but are, mm-hmm. that are maybe also unintentional at the same time. And and where there's been a real shift, Taylor, you mentioned that the four big clubs there, Al Nassar, Al Halal, Al Etihad and Al Ali, they they were purchased by the, the public investment fund earlier this year. So if people are wondering where all this money is coming from all, all of a sudden, that is the reason those clubs are, are in particular are spending a lot of money. And that's not to say that other clubs are, are, are not spending as well. Al Etifak, for example, are owned by someone um, by someone who had a, a prominent role in the Saudi FA and who is apparently close to Bill Bin Salman. Um, so while the, the Saudi Pro League isn't technically centralised like MLS, the PIF is at the heart of what is happening there at the moment. And, and for anyone who doesn't know what the, the PIF is, that is the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia, they have, they're one of the biggest sovereign wealth funds in the world. That's the, the wealth fund that owns a big chunk of Newcastle United. It's worth up to $800 billion. And it's not just sport that they're involved in. So they set up the Live Golf Tour, which has now essentially bought the sport of, of golf. They have a Formula One race. There's big boxing fights that are funded by, by PIF in, in, in Saudi Arabia. But in the business world, they have invested in all sorts of companies from Uber to Twitter to Disney. So that this is this is a wealth fund that really their strategy seems to be be everywhere all at once. So you can't avoid them. And in a way, 
society legitimizes them. I mean, we all use Twitter, we all watch Disney films, things like that, and in their plan is that's how you, you legitimize the the regime in the Western world. Yeah, and then and I think and then even to the broader world, but also to their domestic base. Uh, what I was talking about before is they've basically the PIF has taken PIF has taken ownership of those four clubs, but along the way, uh, Aramco, for example, uh, the Arab American oil company, uh, bought stakes in Al Qadzia, uh, which is located, I think closest to the largest Aramco like housing development for their employees. So there's an idea there that that will become like the club of Aramco. Neom, that futuristic city, acquired ownership of Al-Sukor FC. I think they're one of the lower division teams. But it's this idea that they're building these what will be like future cities and, and strategically significant areas that they want to develop further into larger urban landscapes that they're they're kind of developing those and they're developing a football club to go with it. I think all with an idea towards being this place that is religiously very, very significant, obviously, but then also has more stuff to do essentially that you have clubs to go support that have money behind them that have big names. And I think the expected rise in tourism is correct. I think you'll start to see a a huge boom for tourism as you get more and more big name players playing there. It makes sense to want to go there, especially if you are Muslim, especially if you're going there for the Hajj. Like I I think you start to see how it all kind of connects. That's an important point there, Taylor, because we, as Westerners, we will we will look at the Saudi Pro League from a Western point of view, and and maybe through ignorance, um, maybe fr- from a, a kind of institutionalized sense of self-importance when it comes to soccer, think they're building something for us to yeah. watch. I don't really think that's the case. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a is, is a country of sixty, uh, not sixty five, thirty six million people, and that entire region around Saudi Arabia as well. A lot of football fans in that part of the world. And I do think it is notable that they have targeted Muslim players, uh, Riyad Mahrez, Mohamed Salah, obviously a player who didn't ultimately make the move to Saudi Arabia, but it feels like that will happen in the future. He is the biggest star in the Islamic world. So that does feel like a key part of their strategy. It, it's not just for people in the West, but but it is also part of that. And Graham, I'm not saying that you're denying that, but sure. I, I think it's... It is strange in some ways for us in in the place that we are, in the culture that we are, to balance those things. But when you go out and sign the players that they've signed and make the public statements that the Saudi Pro League has made, talking about wanting to become a top 10 league in the world with so many things building towards potentially getting a World Cup in their country in 2030 or 2034, that Vision 2030 has been a massive discussion point in all of this, and we've talked about that on this show before. It also is for the broader world, and it will have larger ramifications outside of just the cultural impact within their country. It's going to have much larger ramifications in the greater world and, less importantly, soccer world. And and we're already sort of starting to see those things happen. Um, Graham, seven or eight years ago, we were all talking about the Chinese Super League and the way it was poaching players from the West. Obviously, there were governmental changes. There have been economic situation in China, which has limited the... Uh, scope of that league now what's stopping that happening here is it is it that the as you mentioned the pif uh, uh, the pif is investing not just in soccer it's a broader project yeah. here it's kind of supported by it's almost like he- they've hedged the investment if you will against other um, western businesses it, it, it does feel like it's a, there's a long a long range strategy here but obviously the chinese super league would have said the same thing when when it launched too so it, do we feel like there's a bit more stability to be honest no i think i think they might have been like whatever g says is what we're gonna do for as long as he says do that (laughs) 
Yeah, potentially. I, I just look at what the PIF has invested in and what Saudi Arabia, not so much with soccer, but what, what else they are involved in and how long they have been involved um, in it for. And just think this isn't a flash in the pan for the Saudi Pro League. Apparently, they have allocated, I can't remember how much it is, is it $17 billion in, tr- in transfer fees alone f- for the period between this year and 2030. So that says to me that this isn't actually the peak, this is the start, and we're actually going to see clubs spending even more money over the next few years. Mm. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the players who've gone over and who may do so soon as well. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Uh, Joe, as we mentioned in the first part of this episode, a whole scope, a different range of players have made their way over, older and younger. Gabi, uh, Gabri Vegas came over from Spain as a 21-year-old. Uh, Tony Kroos said it's embarrassing for him to have accept, accepted that deal to go to Saudi, uh, a Saudi club. Do we think there's going to be a sea change in that opinion? Uh, and if so, when is it going to come? When uh, is is it a is it a viable thing for a young player to do to go to the Saudi league at this point? 
It depends on what your goals are, right? If you're yeah. Gabby Vega and you're interested in making a lot of money, and that's exactly what happened in this particular case, playing for Celta Vigo in La Liga. Young player, very talented, scored 11 La Liga goals last season. Very good, young Spanish player. Napoli were reportedly interested and had agreed to terms, but then Al-Hali come in and pay him five times his wages as what Napoli were going to offer, according to reports. Like, yeah, if it's going to be viable if that's something that you're interested in. It's less viable still, although this has already changed some in a short amount of time. It will change. I'd be shocked if it doesn't. Over the next five, ten years, it will become more viable as a sporting destination in the future. But compared to still the top leagues in the world, and even some in yeah. the second or third tier leagues, there's still a long ways to go. Right? We've already talked about how striated the top division is in Saudi Arabia with really those four clubs owned by the PAF spending the most money. Those are the four clubs with 20,000 people coming to their games on average this season. Every other club in the league has 5,000 people, oh, sorry, 10,000, excuse me, people or less coming to their games on average so far this season. There's a huge difference there. And that lack of quality from top to bottom still makes it difficult to go and really claim that you're doing this for sporting reasons. That will slowly change with each coming transfer window. It slowly started now, I guess really back in January with Ronaldo. This window has been massive for them and has really boosted the quality of the league. That's going to continue to happen, maybe not quite to this extent all at the same time. But for, for Gabby Vega, you're not going for sporting reasons. You're going to secure the bag, and that's exactly what he did. I, I think yeah. genuinely that, that Vega is probably the most important signing that Saudi made because he is such a young player. The other one that comes to mind for me is Ruben Neves, 26, really the first kind of in-prime player coming to Saudi Arabia this summer. A lot of the other names are older and, and maybe in the last move or two of their careers. Neves and, and Vega, to me, are kind of the first two lampposts to players in their particular career stages that say, hey, like maybe we can start something of a trend here. But that trend has not started really yet. I, I don't know if one single signing can ever make a league, but I do wonder how this discussion might have changed if Mbappe had gone there because that was obviously a big story a month ago. He says he wants to go leave PSG. Saudi Arabia, I think it's Al-Ali, um, was the club that, that wanted to sign him. Maybe it was Al-Halal. They offer him $300 million for a one-year contract, which is just outrageous. But if Kylian Mbappe goes to Saudi Arabia as arguably the best player in the world at this moment in time. I know Messi has gone to enter Miami and he might win the Ballon d'Or this year, but I think we can all agree that Messi is coming down the other side of the mountain a little bit physically, isn't really the player that he used to be. Mbapp Mbappe's at the peak of his powers right now. If he goes to Saudi Arabia, are we all of a sudden thinking of that league as one of the best in the world? Or not, maybe not one of the best in the world, but relevant in global soccer? Um, I, I, I would have been interested in that, in that discussion. I, I don't think so, uh, personally. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with, again, this might just be my perception. It still feels like a a team, it feels like a series of all-star teams right now. And not a team that has a lot of stars in them, but it has a very all-star team vibe. Even watching the games, the defense is still very poor. One of the goals in that game is the defender coming under pressure and straight up passing it to an opposition player, it might be Kareem Benzema, who is open 12 yards from goal and he passes it in. Like, that is a, like, rookie-level mistake of if you're going to clear, if you're going to pass, do not pass to the middle. Certainly don't do that in your own defensive third. And there, it's still not a, like, 
good quality game, in my opinion. It, it seems pretty slow uh, in possession, but I think it is something that will change. I really do think by the time they host a World Cup, either in 2030 or 2034, I think they're targeting 2030 for the growth of the league. Uh, I, my guess is more likely they host the World Cup in 2034. I think it is one of the biggest leagues in the world by then. I think that is absolutely what they're going to do because because of the money that they've already pledged, but I think because... There's an opportunity here. If you're Saudi Arabia, I think they look at at what other clubs have done, specifically the Qatar Stars League, and I think there's an idea that there has been money spent. They have brought over stars, but it's been aging stars. It hasn't really been like to the level where it turns a lot of heads. But if you can become a league that is paying players a ton of money, players want to play there, you get a ton of names in there, and then you start to round out those rosters, and maybe we get a team that makes a run in the Club World Cup or wins the Club World Cup because they have depth across that roster, I think slowly it becomes a league that people have to kind of take note of. I don't think one player does that. I don't think big-name attackers will do that, but I think a team that is doing really interesting things and has a lot of talent there on both sides of the ball, I think starts to generate interest. And especially if they start doing more in the champions league and Asian champions league in the club world cup, I think if they start recruiting from areas that maybe need the development and start bringing in players from Africa and, and Asia and central Asia, I, I think that they will start to get even more attention uh, on a global scale. And that's where we go back to Graham. I agree. I don't know how much of this is aimed for a Western audience. I think South America, you can see what interest they're trying to generate. I think with some of the signings, that's pretty clear in my mind as well. But I think it is looking to markets that maybe haven't felt valued and valuing those markets in a way that gets even more eyes on the game. I think um, if I'm right, Graham, Saudi Arabia are doing some friendly games in this window at St. James's Park. Uh, and sure, sure. Um, Newcastle playing in, in their away kits are now in Saudi colors. There's There's definitely an attempt to make the concept of Saudi Arabia more comfortable for a Western audience. Obviously, that's what sports watching essentially is. If that continues down this path, Graham, there could, it, could there not be a scenario where Saudi Arabia gets accepted into UEFA, for example? And then that's when they really start to be a threat to La Liga, to the Bundesliga and the Premier League. So I don't know if, if Saudi Arabia would ever be accepted into UEFA as like a federation. I, I, I just can't really see politically that 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 flying ever. I, I think there is a chance that Saudi clubs, that essentially they broaden out the Champions League and they broaden out some UEFA competitions. And there is a invitation extended to the champions of the Saudi Pro League every season or something like that. I think that could be on the cards, particularly if... If Taylor, your 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 prediction is correct, and by the time Saudi Arabia hosts the World Cup ten years from now, that is one of the best leagues in the world, then it would, in a in a, in a kind of rational sense, a non political sense, if you can kind of separate the two things, it would make sense for the Champions League to be like, well, we should invite these guys in because we our whole brand is this is the best club soccer tournament in the world, and we aren't that if we don't have these Saudi teams involved in some way. So yeah, I could see that happening at some point in the future. Of course, we had Qatar involved as a ghost team in World Cup qualification. I know that's international soccer, but nonetheless, a precedent has been has been set there. So I could envisage that. Yes, I think that's one of the most fascinating undercurrents to all of this because right now you have UEFA president Alexander Seferin saying. Basically, just trying to sweep all this under the rug. Like, oh, we're not, we're not worried, we're not concerned. He mentioned China when talking about uh, about really the improvements that Saudi Arabia are making on the soccer side earlier back in the summer. He has has kind of just been saying, hey, let's ignore this. It's not going to be a real problem. 
I think there will come a time, it is not now, there will come a time, Ryan, and this is credit to you for your initial prompt, where there are larger scale discussions about how this will impact everyone. For now, it has been both a little bit of a distraction for European and specifically Premier League teams as the top league in the world on the transfer side. It has maybe made parts of their life more difficult. On the other hand, it's also made parts of their life easier, right? If you can yeah, get agreed. a real return for Riyad Mahrez, old, running low on contract, Edward Mendy, old, you don't really want him at this point if you're Chelsea and you just need to offload players, you probably take that in exchange for giving up one Ruben Neves in a transfer window, right? Like, as a league, you can argue that Saudi Arabia have done a, a lot of good for the Premier League and for their finances. There may come a point in time where the same is true Chelsea for would. the governing body. Yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea certainly would. Manchester yeah. City absolutely would. Like, there are real clubs, some Liverpool. of the biggest in the Premier League. Absolutely. Like, this is a real trend. There'll come a time when it's not just on the transfer side where there are interesting conversations to be had for these power brokers, but all the way around with that UEFA. FIFA will benefit certainly with the Club World Cup. They don't have as much financial muscle as UEFA or some of these specific leagues around the world. FIFA are going to cash in on this. Everybody, I would imagine, is going to find a way to tap into the, the really unprecedented resources that Saudi Arabia have. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I would extend that to like, there's a point at which that becomes like the Premier League, which is the the most free spending, the most money. Every club has more money than every team in the Bundesliga and La Liga combined. They now are like, like that's that's like change in the couch of Saudi Arabia, <laughs> and so I think there is almost something to be said for as they continue to spend money to sign those players. It becomes like the Premier League itself is a selling league, uh, and. Right now, it's been players like Fabinho being sold for 46.7 million euros. To your point, Joe, no one else is going to give them that value. But I won't be surprised if, as things go, that becomes more of an intentional thing of we are taking away some of your top talents for money that you can't turn down. But to us, it's not that big of a deal compared to being able to bring over that talent. And I think it's, it's smart business. I think one of the things that I find frustrating or off-putting, I don't know about all this, is that, like, thus far, Saudi Arabia's done a very smart job. Look at what they've done with Newcastle, how they've built that team, how we haven't seen the dramatic overspend, how there hasn't been really anything that stands out as, like, well, that was a terrible idea. Why did they go for Rubinho? Uh, They've made Hmm. smart acquisitions. I think the way the Saudi League has been operating since some of these clubs were taken over, again, shows, I think, that money is being spent, but it's being spent deliberately. It's not... It doesn't feel like a flash in the pan to your question about China, Ryan. It doesn't feel like a thing that's happening temporarily. It feels like they are identifying this as a potential way to make a ton of money when the world... or. Ideally, when, maybe it's an if, the world is less reliant on petrochemicals, they have other industries that are sort of supporting that industry. I think it's a a forced modernization uh, that sees sort of the writing on the wall and is making that change, unless we forget to end this monologue. Like, until the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the reputation of Mohammed bin Salman is a reformer. He's a, he's a Western reformer. He wants to make this country more modern. And I think that was all deliberate. That was all sort of the way he wanted his image conveyed. Uh, And then uh, Jamal Khashoggi is murdered, and I think that sort of stands in stark contrast. And that is probably the biggest misstep of his time in power. And I think it is a huge reason why I, at least, and I think some other people have some trepidation about this league, is that it feels like things are happening on the surface for reasons that we don't quite get or for like things that are happening under the surface that we're not quite seeing. And and so I I think it leads to that feeling of like, what is all this for? Why is all this happening? And I think the the short answer is tourism, but there's, I think other factors that factor in. 
when when you look at other um, leagues that are looking to grow, you, you don't really get a question of what's the big plan behind this. Yeah. Like with mm-hmm. MLS, the idea yeah. is just to become good and the biggest league in the world. And maybe that is the plan for the Saudi Pro League as well. But you're right, Taylor, there, there is a, a, a suspicion of, of kind of ulterior motives because of what we know about Saudi Arabia as a country and a, a regime um, and, and the human human rights violations. The, the the transfers that make me think, I agree, Taylor, I think they've done some smart things. The, the transfers like the one for Gabby Vega and and they also signed Felipe Jota from from Celtic, who is this 21-year-old uh, winger who was very good for Ange Postacoglu, was going to go to the Premier League this summer and then goes to Saudi Arabia. Those are the sort of transfers, similar to Newcastle, that make me think, Hmm. They they kind of get the transfer market already. They have a director of football, and that director of football is uh, Michael Emanalo, who was who is the the former Chelsea director of football. I can't really think of many other leagues in the world that has a centralized. Even though it's not a centralized league, they have a director of football that is kind of guiding things. And I think it's really interesting the way that they. Um, established plans for transfer windows. I've read a little bit about this in The Athletic where essentially the big four clubs will meet with with the PIF, with PIF, and they will essentially hand them a shopping list of players that they would like and they move through that list one by one by one. Um, which I know is, is maybe what every football manager does every summer around the world. But nonetheless, the players on those, on those lists are like Salah and Neymar and Messi and Benzema and like some of the best players in the world. And when they start getting to players in the peak of their powers, like Mbappe, like Haaland, excuse me, that's when something will have, will have shifted. Yeah. Uh, for me, Joe, I feel like the Saudi Arabian creeping dominance is going to be like the frog in the increasingly boiling water you won't kind of notice it happening in many ways i think certainly made many soccer fans won't as well this it feels like we're gonna the next step might be whereas a decade ago premier league teams in the summer were touring asia now they all tour america it's before you know it i think they're all going to be in saudi arabia every summer um do, doing their tours and then where does it go from there do, do, is, is there a is there a path within the next decade where it really is one of the biggest leagues in the world do you think joe realistically not in the next decade I think it also depends a little bit on how you want to define one of the biggest, right? Will it rival the Premier League in the next decade? I I don't think so on quality. With some of the top-end names, it's already there because there are only so many. But in general, top-to-bottom quality and the aesthetics and the backing and the the interest from all over the world, I, I think it's going to take significantly longer than that. But it is inarguable that this league is marching towards relevance and has already become much more relevant. Ryan, I I love that analogy. I think from this point forward, there'll be a lot of those subtle things that we don't really notice or think twice about. I I know uh, at least people in the media here in the U.S. have talked about the Saudi All-Stars versus the MLS All-Stars for the next MLS All-Star game and things like that. That one's a little more obvious, but we're going to see, I would imagine, more and more of those smaller, under-the-radar kind of involvements. Uh, and I think that will ultimately all lead towards this league becoming something that people have to take seriously. I don't know. You know there, there's a weird angle in all this that, that makes me think, like, how are we going to cover the Saudi Pro League? It doesn't demand attention now, but might it going forward if if there's some sort of partnership with UEFA and things like that where it's in the Champions League and all of a sudden that's another example of it, it kind of sneaking in. The, the league is getting better and better and better. It's happening inarguably at this point. I don't know what the timeline is going to look like, but it's it's going to happen. I agree with parts of that. I do think, as I've already said, I think it can be one of the top 10. I think they're aiming to be one of the top 10 leagues in the world within 10 years. I think an area where they will probably look to capitalize and maybe already have is that expanded Club World Cup. And 
Johnny Infantino living in Saudi Arabia, uh, announcing the Expanded Club World Cup. That feels like one where we might get a couple Saudi teams competing there. And I think a good sort of soft power way to do that is to look very good. And if there's a team there that's playing really exciting, attractive football, it will turn heads and people will be interested. I think that the goal is to make the Club World Cup something that people don't just sort of ignore, but act actively pay attention to and becomes a competitor to the Champions League so that FIFA have more control. And if, if it, like UEFA are concerned about the growth of the Saudi League, it's not going to be quelled by the Club World Cup featuring a couple teams who are doing big things. And so I, I think we'll start to see them maybe like pursue those types of routes and maybe it is all-star games and the like, but I think they will be looking to sort of take away pieces of the pie where they can to get more eyes on them more consistently. Yeah. One thing that, that, that needs to happen. And this is, this is purely a, a, a point from my own personal perspective as a Western fan who hasn't really watched any Saudi pro league um, games or any Saudi domestic games at all. I know these clubs have been around for a long time, but they need to communicate narrative and rivalries because I think that's going to be an interesting thing in testing what we value as football fans. So it might come to a point where I have a professional duty to watch Saudi Pro League games. But as a fan, I am already kind of asking myself with the players that are moving to the Saudi Pro League, well, why why do I watch certain games? Do I watch Arsenal-Manchester United at the weekend because it's some of the best players in the world? Or do I watch it because of the rich narrative behind Arsenal-Manchester United? You know, Barcelona-Real Madrid will always be Barcelona-Real Madrid no matter who the players are. And I need to know a little bit more about the rivalries. I need to know why those rivalries matter, what the, what the, the, the narrative is, what the context is. Otherwise, it's just a big exhibition to me. And that's not me saying that those narratives and rivalries don't exist. I'm sure they do. But that needs to be communicated in a, in a smart way. Yeah. yeah. Do you think a way to do that, what, what I keep wondering... Uh, like initially I thought it would be fascinating to basically like bring in a manager like Jose Mourinho, who we constantly hear say like he doesn't get the people he wants to play the system he wants to play. And if you brought Jose in and said, who do you want? Who, who what is the starting 11 you want to play the ideal style of football you want to play? Like, I feel like that would be really interesting to have managers be allowed basically to have carte blanche to play exactly how they want to play with the personnel they want, but maybe more appropriate for long-term development. And it's a little thing. It's similar to what we talked about with Colorado on the list of questions show yesterday is like having teams establish an identity of, we want to be Ajax. We want to be the new Ajax. We want to have academies. We want to develop players playing this style of football. And I think if you have teams that are sort of, have history certainly but have more of a like branded identity of their style and, and approach to football i i think that would also go a long way because i think you're totally yeah. right where i say it feels like an all-star game versus an all-star game or all-star team versus all-star team is just that it feels to be existing in a vacuum where you watch the games and the and the supporters are cheering they're there but you don't have any semblance semblance of an idea of the history or what this means or who doesn't like each other or are there rivalries it just feels like two teams sort of playing each other in an exhibition game right now a well-attended exhibition game, but one nonetheless. I think as you get that identity and that understanding down, I think that probably furthers interest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we kind of, as football fans, we subconsciously gravitate towards certain teams. You know, Joe likes watching Barcelona because they're close to what he likes in a, in a football sense. And I gravitate to other teams. And that, that's, that also needs to happen with the Saudi Pro League if they want fans from around the world. These clubs and the league needs to actually stand for something. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about maybe the next players who could be targeted by the Saudi clubs. And, uh, 
how we're going to approach watching and working with this league back shortly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. Um, Graham, lots of uh, speculation about who's next to go to Saudi Arabia. Um, how does it work? Well, they have a Jan- they'll have a January window as well, right? And, and there'll be more opportunities. I believe to- so, yeah. I-, I read an article that spoke about some targets potentially moving there in-, in-, in January. I think next, I mean, similar to European football and football around the world, I think the summer transfer window will be the big one for the Saudi Pro League, and so it might not be until... Next year, obviously, a lot of that is down to players being out of contract or maybe release clauses being activated or so on. But yeah, there is some tentative reporting already around some players that Saudi clubs could target next. A big one, obviously, is Mohamed Salah. That feels inevitable. That will happen at some point. Um, the weird thing for me is that that um, Saudi Pro League clubs didn't move for Salah earlier in the window because I reckon if they'd gone for him in June and offered Liverpool £200 million, I think it would have happened Agreed. by now. So I don't, I don't really understand why they left it so long because the reason Liverpool seemed to be digging their heels in is the European transfer window is closed now. They can't get a replacement until January at the earliest. But I do, I, 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 I bet that Salah goes there at some point, whether it's January or next summer. A couple other big names that have been mentioned, uh, Robert Lewandowski, who hasn't had a great 2023 by his high standards and Barcelona are Barcelona so they'll sell anyone for some magic beans so Lewandowski has <laughs> been uh, linked I'm sort of surprised a move for Paul Pogba didn't happen yeah, this summer that felt he visited Saudi Arabia as well and visited was it Al-Halal's training ground that felt like the first the first piece falling into place for him to move Thirsty. there didn't happen I'm sure that'll happen at some point in the future. And then finally, one 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 last suggestion: uh, Luka Modric, another player who has who's faced questions about interest from Saudi clubs. He's on a one-year contract, one-year rolling contract at Real Madrid, similar or the same contract that Karim Benzema was on. So that would be uh, quite an easy one for him to be picked up. These aren't specific players, although I I totally agree with all the names that Graham mentioned there. Pogba in particular is the one that was on my list as kind of an obvious one. Jose Mourinho on the manager side, I think would be fascinating. Taylor, you connected that. Uh, earlier and, and there have been some links there he said he's turned offers down and wants to stay at Roma we'll see how long that resolve lasts two things that I'm I'm curious about we've seen some smoke regarding a Jane Sancho loan to Saudi Arabia I'm curious to see if the loan market will heat up to Saudi Arabia I think of loans generally being a player that wants to go out there they're not quite good enough for their current level so they can go and get some minutes elsewhere I don't think the quality, as I said earlier when we talked about Vega, I don't think the quality is there to, to have that have the same impact going on loan to Saudi Arabia. But the timing could be convenient, especially with their window extending beyond 
the, the Premier League's window and a lot of the top European leagues' windows, it ends on, on uh, like a, a week later, right? September 7th is when the window ended for Saudi Arabia. And Jurgen Klopp, particularly, because he's had to deal with all these comments about Mo Salah, has come out and said, like, that, that's a little bit of a problem for us. And I'm wondering if maybe as soon as next season or however long this process to vote for the Premier League clubs and other clubs around Europe to vote to change the transfer windows in their particular countries, I'm wondering if we're going to see that push back as a reaction to the, the flexibility, really, that Saudi Arabia has. But the loan side of things and how the, the transfer window dates actually impact the market moving and therefore the quality of the leagues, that I think is going to be fascinating. So, Joe, as an extension to the loan idea, which is fascinating, do we see this maybe becoming even like a development league for European teams in a way? Oh. Finding, finding out if that player can do it on a cold, uh, rainy Tuesday night in El Atifak, <laughs> for example, you know, that kind of thing. As, as legend goes. Ryan, it's an open question. I don't think, and this is why I think for, for most loan situations, it's going to take time. I don't think this is a right-away thing. If I am Manchester City genuinely trying to compete and there's a youngster that's in the team that I think is is so close, that Pep thinks is so close for next season, but just not quite going to get minutes over Jack Grealish on the wing, Like I, I'm probably not going to loan that player to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to try to find the minutes in La Liga. I'm going to try to find the minutes in in uh, in, in France and my clubs there in, within CFG. But like, give it five years, give it 10 years, and all of a sudden that could be another one of those maybe slightly less subtle moves, but still a, a kind of subtle progress step for Saudi Arabia as they use other mechanisms besides permanent transfers to add quality to the league. Mm. I think, Taylor, maybe the elephant in the room of this discussion is that none of us are entirely comfortable with the Saudi Pro League because we know why it's happening, right? We know why this level of investment is happening. We know what they're doing. We know the sports washing. We know we can see how the sausage is being made, so to speak. Do you think there's going to be a tipping point where people don't generally feel that same way? And if so, what is it going to be? Is it just going to be time? Is it going to be the constant PR message that we get? Is it going to be the ubiquity of Saudi Arabia in the West that's going to just help us be more comfortable with it in the end? I mean, don't we have, I forget which Premier League club it is right now, talking about having Riyadh Airlines as their sponsor. Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, which which, an airline that doesn't operate at at time of recording. Uh, Like, yeah, I I think it will be the, the, their presence around the world for sure. Uh, The one thing I would say is like, I don't, I don't think this is sports washing necessarily. Like I think buying Newcastle definitely is. I think uh, uh, Abu Dhabi buying Man City, uh, Qatar buying PSG. Those all are examples to me. I think soft power is what I probably meant. I think it's, it's a shift. It's a shift in, they want tourism. They want to increase tourism. They want to increase the appeal of, of, Saudi Arabia as a tourist destination, as a leader in science and technology and urban living and redefining what an urban landscape is. And and that's where you have Neom and the wall and other futuristic projects I already talked about. And I think this is part of that, that they want to be seen as a like cutting edge modern player. And that's again, where I go back to that quote about like modernity and tradition being in stark contrast and, and even conflict. That that's where I I feel sort of confused as to like what is the end game like is is it to have like I, I could see a reality in which it is meant to be like not a Western facing uh, league but very much a rest of the world facing league and I don't think they would care so much about whether or not an American podcast I doubt they care at all but whether or not American sports companies are concerned about you know sports washing and the leadership and and whatever like like i i think it's it's not really going to be a thing they're as concerned with i think that to me is is how they'll sort of build or a, a way in which it makes sense for them to build and develop uh 
it makes me still not really want to cover them. I think the way that they would be really smart to make people have to cover them is Joe, I think, kind of hit on it already, is managers. It's just if we saw Zidane, for example, signed to manage a Saudi club, if we saw Pep or Carlo Ancelotti taking that payday and, and the kind of backing that would come with it, Right now, it's a bunch of stars, but like I would say the most high-profile manager is maybe Nuno, who I don't think of as being this like attack-minded. What's that? Gerard, maybe. I think John Terry might actually have been appointed a manager today of Al, uh, Al-Shabaab, so maybe I, him now. I stand by my point that I don't think of. like <laughs> Steven Gerrard is like, ooh, I need to watch his teams. But Zidane, Pep, Carlo Ancelotti, other high-profile managers that you think, oh, those guys are going to do interesting things. Those guys are going to coach interesting teams or even young up and coming uh, managers who you then want to see what's next for them. Nagelsmann like could be one of those. So I think that that would be an area in which I I think some additional investments of additional spending would be pretty smart in sort of forcing people to have to pay attention. Ryan, I, I would, I would agree with you in the, the use of the term like a soft power play. I think, I think that's what the, a large part of this is. Soccer is a really kind of weirdly effective way of opening doors to the corridors of power. We've seen it at the Qatar World Cup with certain political figures sitting next to Gianni Infantino. Gianni Infantino himself clearly thinks he's some kind of like world leader of some sort as FIFA president. And so I don't know, I mean, sports washing, we can maybe define what what that term actually means. There is a difference between what they're doing with the Saudi Pro League and what they're doing with Newcastle. I would agree with Taylor on that. But I do think it is a soft power play where there is a greater, I think the, the public investment fund, yes, they want to diversify because obviously oil is a finite resource and gas is a finite resource. But I also think they want to legitimize Saudi Arabia um, in, in, a, in a global sense, particularly after the mur- murder of uh, Khashoggi, which obviously set the regime back a long way in that regard. And a lot of countries and a lot of governments now no now won't talk directly to Ben Salman, and so this is maybe a way of rolling that back. Um, and I do think the Saudi Pro League, even if it's a small part of that plan, is a part of that plan. Yeah, well, a very expensive part of that plan, I'd probably suggest. Indeed. Well. well, not to them though. They've got eight hundred million, eight hundred billion, excuse me, uh, dollars to play with. One thing I think is interesting while we're talking about the kind of power structure of Saudi Arabia, I believe I'm correct in saying that MBS is the first leader of Saudi Arabia to not be the original king, King Abdulaziz, or to be one of his sons. So I think in that way, MBS has done a lot of stuff to sort of consolidate power, uh, that if people have watched Succession, and there's that whole subplot in one season in which like Roman is swept up and sort of in a, in a hotel with like members of a ruling family. That is a real thing. That is what MBS has done. There are lots of family members who have been like in prison, quote unquote, in a five-star hotel, but like he has done a, a, a smart job of consolidating power. And for longest time of sort of having his brand be, he is this person who's coming in, who's not connected or not as connected to past regimes and instead can, bring about change and bring about modernity. And as I said, the Khashoggi uh, murder really, really, I think, disrupts, like, is a horrific incident, to do, like, want to say that straight up, like, at first. But then also, I think really disrupts what his plan was for how Saudi Arabia's perception was meant to shift into a more modernized understanding. And I think that is where there is a clash for me, at least, that it's just, I can see what they're doing and why they're doing it, 
and I and I really like probably would not have as nearly as much of an issue as I do if it weren't for some of those just overt contrasts with what happens with Khashoggi, with the way uh, women are treated in Saudi Arabia. I think there's just still that huge conflict that looms large in my mind that maybe is like puts me in the minority. Like I think there's plenty of people who just who don't care. To Joe's point, a player is gonna if they want to get the bag, they're gonna take that money. Mm. I I don't really begrudge them that. I understand why they're doing it. Uh, it, it, it like it's not something I would I would want to do necessarily. But I I think players are gonna yeah. do that. Coaches are gonna do that. People are gonna want to watch high profile players play exciting soccer. There is an enthusiasm for like watching Sergei Milinkovic Savage like jump, jumping in with a bunch of his teammates that you didn't expect him to end up playing with when it's and now it's going to be like uh SMS playing like receiving a ball from Koulibaly turning uh playing a ball into Ruben Neves who then it's like, like FIFA, finds Neymar man. who then crosses for Mitrovic to score Mitrovic scored some worldies in the game that I watched like it, there's there's a reason to watch and I think that's why I end up feeling sort of resigned to like yeah they're gonna be a dominant player i because why wouldn't they be there's not much that's going to disrupt that short of i don't know fifa not allowing them to spend money and johnny infantino again lives in saudi arabia so i don't think johnny infantino is going to be doing too much to change the present state of affairs I, I i just wish players were a little bit more candid and honest on on why they've moved to saudi arabia jordan henderson gave a, an interview changing to the hearts Athletic and minds graham what do you mean this week yeah so jordan <laughs> henderson his transfer to al etifak was particularly controversial because john jordan henderson um had been a champion for the lgbtq plus community had famously worn the the rainbow flag on on the on his armband as liverpool captain and of course has now moved to saudi arabia where obviously uh, gay and queer people are essentially criminalized in in that country so that is not ideal and rather than just saying yeah the money was too much for me to turn down which you know that's not i'm not saying i wouldn't have any criticism of him if he had said that but at least then there would have been a little bit of transparency to his decision making process whereas he he gave all these bs answers around wanting to change the game in Saudi Arabia and how he was really interested in the project and he wanted to work with Steven Gerrard again and, and, and things like that. I just wish there was a little bit... I wish they would stop... Players would stop treating fans like idiots. Like, we know what's happening here. We can wrangle with our, ourselves internally, whether we are okay with it or, or, or not as fans, but at least be honest with us. That Jordan Henderson interview was very, very infuriating and frustrating to read. It was indeed. All right, uh, let's wrap up the conversation there. This has been a really fascinating one. Uh, listener, let us know what you think about this as well. And patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to join our Discord and we'll discuss it a little bit more there. Uh, still got a Patreon. We don't have that Reared Airlines headline sponsor just yet on the <laughs> Total Soccer Show. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us on this one. Thank you, Ryan. And if you'll forgive me, uh, I meant to say this earlier. When you all were talking about which window will be the dominant one, I could also see a reality in which, like, Saudi Arabia in January, we already have teams playing friendlies there and, like, Super League games there. I won't be surprised if there are some players who are, like, so, like, Northern England weather in the winter or Saudi Arabia in the winter. Uh, I don't know. So I feel like there will be some heads turned in January. It's going to be an interesting window for sure. Yeah, I can live in an apartment in Gateshead or I can live in this (laughs) giant mirror in the desert. Where they built me a a lake to go with it. I'll take that. Graham Rudson, thank you very much. I hope you one day get a giant mirror in the desert. <laughs> thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, excuse me, Ryan Bailey. Thank you to Taylor as well. <laughs> oh, I grew a beard. You know, we're indistinguishable these days. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your contributions, my good man. 
right back at you. I'm just sad that I'm not getting the mirror in the desert, given that I live in the desert. But it's it's fine. There's no offense. No offense taken. I'll take the lake instead. I'll take the lake instead. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much, listen once again for joining us on this podcast. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye.